the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Good to be with you. Thanks for coming in. ProAmericaReport.com is where you want to go. Get yourself signed up for the daily email or just stay here in the next hour. We'll have a great time. And in a few moments, we'll talk with Conrad Black, Lord Conrad Black, who has a new book out. And I have to tell you, there's no finer way, no better way to get into my good graces than to send me your book. And so he sent me his book, and uh, but I would have had him on anyway because he's a fascinating uh, man and his um, his career. I'm going to ask him about this Republican convention because uh, Lord Conrad Black has been a... He owned newspapers. He was in media. He's a historian. He's had a broad career, and uh, and and he will be an excellent observer on what the conventions... What, you know, what's happened in the last 10 days, so because I will talk about in a moment how extraordinary it is. And then we'll also get an update. Of, a few months ago, could be six months ago, we had a woman named Rachel Bruno on, and she's talking about uh in particular uh the the concern you know many of us are concerned about government's overreach in the in the covid 19 period well rachel bruno is somebody who's worked with a bunch of families and where there has been abuse by government uh on families themselves and we'll talk with her about that and uh let our children go is one of the organizations that does that so we'll visit about that uh also rachel bruno so but first what do you need to know well a few things and i I've, I've listened to the listeners and again if you go to proamericareport.com you can email me through that site or you you can go on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin, uh, Facebook. It's Ed Martin Live. All these places, people will email and all. One thing I've heard is they say in this opening segment, cover a little more ground because sometimes I get into one thing too much. So here's what I'm going to do during the wink. What you need to know is cover three or four things that I can see are important so that you know about them. If you want more, uh, I am usually on Twitter doing some more there, and we can find out more. But let's see how that works out because again, a couple things I want to make sure you see and hear. Um, yesterday, uh, in the late hours, could have been early this morning, actually, when it technically hit, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo uh, published notice that America was putting another Chinese company, a, a communist Chinese regime company, on the sort of sanctions list, as well as the CEO, the individual in charge. It has to do with fentanyl and drug dealing and the fact that Chinese, the Chinese regime is, is killing 60 to 70 million Americans by sending fentanyl in. They produce it in China and send it in through the, the Mexican border. So that's kind of good, right? That's really good. It shows that we're going we're gonna to put the squeeze on the Chinese because we're not going to allow this to keep going. And and, you know, decoupling continues. Well, let me just make the next connection for you that wasn't hasn't been covered. I haven't seen anybody in the press. Uh, yesterday, the coroner's report was released in of the of, of George Floyd, the man who died up in Minnesota, Minneapolis. And his death is tragic. All death is tragic. I tell people all the time. I was at Michael Brown, the site of Michael Brown's death in, in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, the day after his death. Uh, any death is sad. It's a sadness for the family, for the person, and the circumstances are always difficult. Of course, Michael Brown's death was used as an excuse to riot. It wasn't truthful, the coverage of it. It was a lie. Hands up, don't shoot was a lie. The way it was handled was a lie. And it was meant to damage our, our, our city, St. Louis, as well as our nation. 
In the case of George Floyd, yesterday the news comes out that the coroner's report says that George Floyd was not only didn't only have fentanyl in his system, but he had enough fentanyl. I think I think it was characterized as more than enough, maybe double the amount to make the death, the cause of death, fentanyl overdose. Now, let me connect the dots for you. You can do a lot of cocaine and get yourself to have a heart attack. You can do a ton of heroin. And if you don't sleep it off before, you will die from it. But if you take a hit of fentanyl, it is a super, you know, super duper powered drug. And it sends people over the, a lot of times it kills them instantly. But it, it, it's one that's absolutely 50 times more powerful than heroin. It's considered chemical heroin, the same kinds of things, but you don't have to grow it in, in the poppy fields. You just create it in a lab. But have you heard that George Floyd effectively was dying of an overdose? Have you heard the media say, oh, my gosh, wait a second. We went too far too fast with the snippet we showed, which looked like a man being killed by another man. Again, I don't know what the, the, the record will show, although I've now seen enough of the body cam to think to myself there was a setup by the media and the country fell for it. And the country fell for it. So people lost their businesses. They lost their relationships. They lost their jobs because the media lied about George Floyd. How often is this going to go on? Kenosha, Wisconsin is burning. Finally, the president sends in the uh, the federal uh, the federal reinforcements because they finally asked. But in Kenosha, they're making the story. New York Times wrote a wrote a headline that said that there's rioting and there's uh, um, things turn ugly in Kenosha after the death of so and so, the victim in this case, the guy that was shot. He didn't die. He's in the hospital. Here's my pro tip for you. People say that on Twitter all the time. If if the cops tell you to stop, don't rush to get in your car. You're probably not going to be handled well if you rush to get in your car and reach for something. But you see the media coverage of it? No. And the media's got a problem because if they want to try to show now the shooting last night in Kenosha, there was a shooting last night where uh, somebody shot some of the protesters, it looks like. Now the media's got to decide, are they going to try to cover the shooter who says he was defending private property, but then they'll have to show the rioting. And so far, we haven't seen the rioting that's going on for ages in Portland and other places. It's a, it's a disaster, but the disaster is in large part at the feet of the media. And I mean that. They, they are the enemy of we the people. They really are. It's amazing to watch. All right. Uh, a couple more updates on this. A couple of things you need to know before we finish this off is one is, did you notice Hillary complaining? Hillary did an interview. It's really pathetic at this point. There are people that should know how they look. They need to maintain their status as a serious, you know, kind of former presidential candidate. She did this Skype interview that they recorded as part of a documentary, I think. And it just looks so small time and sad. And and she's griping. And she says, no matter what, Joe Biden should contest the election with Donald Trump. No matter what? In 2016, Hillary Clinton and her people were saying Donald Trump must admit that he, uh, he should not contest the election. He, should, he must say, Donald Trump must say, I will accept the results of the election. Now she's changed her tune. Now, hypocrisy is no, nothing new in a politician, but it was really pathetic. To see her whining and her co, uh, the interviewer was another woman, and they looked and she threw her hands up in the air. It was on Zoom. They were Zooming to each other. It was just terrible. It's a terrible moment. And, you know, if the people that run the Democrat Party don't realize that they are showing their brand as small time compared to, and this is what you need to know, the Republican National Convention, the convention is unbelievable. 
I mean, Melania Trump's performance is one for the ages in, in the sense that she gave a good speech. She looked great. She walked in great. She had great things to say. She was serious. You can't hate a president who has a wife like that, just like you can't hate a president who has a daughter like Tiffany Trump, who was, you know, articulate and, and obviously very bright and and support, you know, loves her dad. At a certain point, the Republican convention has turned into a showcase, not only of what the president believes, but also a contrast to the Democrats' anemic convention last week. One looks like a small-time sort of country fair, and the other looks like, you know, kind of uh, Hollywood or, or, uh, or uh, Broadway. I mean, just unbelievable shining and, 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 and uh, amazing, amazing communication and persuasion by the Republican con- at the Republican convention. And what you need to know, I'll finish this up, and then we've got to go to these interviews. What you need to know is, did you hear it? For weeks we've been talking about it. School choice. School choice mentioned, I think every other speaker mentions it. Even like Nick Sandman, who was unbelievable, by the way, he's like 19 years old. He was unbelievably poised. And when he put the MAGA hat on at the end or the president at the swearing in of these naturalized citizens, unbelievable. Or even the best one of the night was the pardon for the, the man who had gone to jail for being a bank robber. And then when he got out of jail, he started this reentry program and he gave him a pardon right there, which people, these morons on TV said, I, I don't know what the, mor- the pardon meant. He's already out of prison. What do you mean you know what it meant? If, you, if you're a convicted felon, you can't vote. You can't do all kinds of things. You can't get your passport. You can't travel the same way. If you get a pardon, you're, you're forgiven the whole thing. You've got to be a moron in the media not to realize what that means. It's a huge deal. So all this is happening. It's extraordinary. And school choice mentioned, I don't know, every other speaker will have school choice in a second term. Now, here's what you need to know. We've been talking about it for weeks, I know. I know you know what I'm saying. We're going to talk more about it. The teachers unions are, are really terrible for this country. But just understand that the, the president of the United States has an uncanny sense. It's not just like some spidey sense. It's his 73 years or four years of experience and understanding how people relate. He's honed in on school choice. He's been for school choice in the past, but he's honed in on it in every other speech, not by chance. And let me just alert you. That in the next 10 weeks coming up to the election, it's going to be the most unsettled, crazy, uncomfortable situation for everyone in America who has a child or grandchild in school. Even if you love your school, even if it's going great, you're worried, you're scared, whatever. And one of the ways you'll hear school choice is as a solution to a problem you may not yet have. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how uh, powerful that is. And every other speaker was saying it. So that's that's what you're seeing there. It's what you need to know. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we've got a couple great interviews, and we'll wrap things up today with what you need to do, especially on the promises made, promises kept. Uh, it's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, uh, many of our listeners, we often talk about, we've heard uh, government overreach. You know, you, you, we've got people calling in and they say, well, you know, up, up in Thousand Oaks, California, Pastor McCoy is being uh, fined for having church. And uh, well, this school isn't allowed to open because of this and that and the other thing. Well, one of the lists I'm on that I'm so appreciative of is a group of people that have been tracking a, a particular uh, abuse by government. And uh, one of the one of the folks that talks about this is a woman named 
Rachel Bruno and uh, and uh, the, uh, the the group or the kind of group I'm on is called Let Our Children Go, and it's talking about sort of how how the um, the government can go past what they should be doing to protect our kids and ourselves and uh, intrude on our families. So first of all, w- welcome to the program, Rachel. It's great to have you on and to uh, to finally talk to you. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Ed, for giving me the opportunity to share this with your audience. Well, so, so tell me the starting point on this. I'm looking at your website, by the way, rachelbruno.com. It's very well done. And, and po- folks, folks that want to get in touch with you, you they could do it through the website. But so Rachel Bruno, Rachel spelled sort of the normal way and Bruno, B-R-U-N-O. I'll put it up on social media. But walk us through how you got to this point and what your sort of story is. Okay, well, long story short is both my children were seized by Child Protective Services in 2015 because my seven-week-old son was critically injured while in the care of his nanny. Now, at that point, you know, seven weeks old, she watched him overnight from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Because I have seizures, I have epilepsy, and one of the main things that triggers my seizures is sleep deprivation or interrupted sleep. So I did this, you know, to care for my son and take care of myself. And when he was around Mm -hmm. seven weeks old, I just woke up to him screaming at about four o'clock in the morning. And I went into the Uh room. She told me that he was gassy. And I said, okay, fair enough. Babies get gassy. And I let her go home early that day because he obviously wasn't settling down. So I'm home alone with my then 20-month-old and a seven-week-old. And this baby would not stop crying. He would not nurse. He would not nap. He was just not normal. And I knew something was wrong, but I could have never imagined what the diagnosis would be. After about six hours of nonstop crying and fussiness and refusing to eat, I finally take him to the emergency room. And when I get to the emergency room, the doctor lays him on the bed and just observes him for about a minute and goes straight to his ear, right behind his left ear on his head. And he asks me, did you feel this? And I said, no. So he grabs my hand and he makes me touch it. Do you feel that bulge right there? And I said, yeah. Like, that's fluid that's leaking from your son's brain. Holy and cow. I just go into shock. Yeah. I'm like, what? What, well, what does that mean? He's like, it could be spinal cerebral fluid or it can be blood. We need to go do a CT hmm. scan right now and see what kind of fluid it is, and we will go from there. So I'm holding my baby in that hospital bed. The nurses come running, and they start pushing me down that hallway his right arm starts twitching and then they really start running. And I look at the nurse, I'm like, is this normal? And she said, no. And that was when it kind of hit me, you know, left side of the brain, right arm twitching. He's having a seizure. Right. And I thought, Oh my God, I gave it to my son. Right. I passed this on Uh, and I'm thinking, uh Lord, you know, please spare my son from having to live with this. Like I did. So drop him off at the CT room. Results come back. Doctors call me into the back of the room where all the monitors are. And he tells me this is very serious. I'm like, okay. It's a cranial fracture, and the fluid that was leaking is blood. The brain hates blood. Yeah, said the brain Mm -hmm. hates blood. So we need to go do emergency surgery right now. We will try to drain the blood and fix the fracture. So there I am signing all the liability forms. Like, are you against blood transfusions? I'm like, I don't care what you do to my son to save my son. So off they go, and I'm still in a state of shock. Like, what the heck just happened, right? I went from a gassy baby to now my son is in the (sighs) emergency room having brain surgery. And I'm there with my mom, who's there with my 20-month-old, and we're just praying 
My husband was on a business trip in another state, having no idea what was going on. I'm texting him, keeping him updated. When the surgery was done, the surgeon came and got me. You know, he said everything went well. We were able to drain all the blood and fix the fracture. My first question, of course, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be brain damaged? And the doctor says, you know, due to his young age, we really don't know whether he's even going to survive the next 48 hours. Right. So I go up to the PICU and, you know, my seemingly lifeless son, he was in a medically induced coma at that point because he started having a lot of seizures after the surgery. Right. And I just pray again. I say, God, you know, I don't care what you have to do or if I have to dedicate the rest of my life to taking care of my son. Just don't take him away from me. Okay. And I had pants at that point. <clears throat> I asked a friend to pick up my mom and my 20-month-old, you know, at the hospital. I obviously wasn't leaving the hospital. I texted my husband, who was coming straight from LAX, to the hospital. And as my mom leaves, a few minutes later, a man in uniform and a woman with a clipboard knock on my door. And they say, Ms. Bruno? I said, yeah. Like, can we talk to you? And I said, yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, what is the police officer doing here? Right. But, you know, I was, I was in a state of shock still. And first words right. out of his mouth is, what happened to your son was worse than getting hit in the head by a bullet. Like, will oh, you help us? Wow. Figure out Not how exactly sensitive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's like, will you help us? And I said, absolutely. You know, so I sit down and I tell them the whole saga from four o'clock in the morning till the hospital. Then he starts questioning me. He's like, why did you wait so long to bring your son to the hospital? And I said, because hmm. I didn't know what was going on. She told me he was gassy. Right. And he said, why didn't you call 911? And I said, again, I thought he was gassy. I didn't know what was going on. He said, why uh -huh. did you bring him to a hospital in Orange County when you live in L.A. County? And I said, because this is the children's hospital that I know. And he's just jotting everything down, you know, very casually. And the social worker asked me, you know, do you have any other children? I said, I do. And then where is he or her? How old are they? So I tell him, I have a 20-month-old son. He's spending the night at my mom's house. And she asked me, is it okay if we go by to see him? Now, at this point, it was about 9 p.m., and I said, you know, he's probably sleeping by now. And she said, we're not going to wake him. We just want to make sure that he's okay. So, again, me and my shock and my naivete, you know, I'm thinking I have nothing to hide. So, yeah, go ahead. Right. Go see my son. And the police officer asked me if I could stay up for the detectives. The detectives were on their way, so I did. Uh -huh. My husband shows up straight from the airport to the hospital. He pulls my husband aside, asks me to wait in another room, closes the door, interviews my husband in another room. So in hindsight, we can kind of see what's going on. But right. at, that, at the time, I had no idea what was going on. Absolutely no idea. The detectives show up. You know, they take me in another room. They ask me if I, they can record the conversation. I tell them the same story again. And they interview me till about 2 o'clock in the morning. So, mind you, I'd been up since 4 a.m. with my crying baby. Right. It is now 2 a.m. the next day. And I tell them, you know, I really need to get some sleep. We can continue this on later today if you would like. So, they were very friendly, very compliant. They gave me their business cards, and I went to bed. I wake up at about 10 Now, let me, Rachel, let, let, me, let me interrupt you for one second because I want to make sure Rachel Bruno is who we're talking to. RachelBruno.com. You can learn more, too, there. I just want to give people that to interrupt. Uh, and, Rachel, we'll, 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 we'll run out of time is the only thing I want to say. So, so as we keep moving along on this story, one thing I want to point out to people is 
we all want a society that says, hey, let's check on what happens to our families and kids, right? The question becomes right. at what point, and what I'm so fascinated by and, and concerned about is child protective services that they treat families as if it was a, a, a you know, a, a criminal. And, and more importantly, and as you keep going, they, they don't, the pro, you don't have the protection of a criminal, actually, you have less. So keep going, Rachel, but I'm just aware right, we're going to exactly. kind of hit a time uh, thing. So go keep going. Okay, so I wake up and my husband is just staring at me. I ask him, now my first instinct is to look at my baby and he's alive. I'm like, what happened? He says, they took David, which was my 20-month-old son at the time. And I said, what do you mean they took David? Who? And they say, they showed up at your mom's house at 2 o'clock in the morning with social worker and three armed police officers. And they told your mom that they were taking David. And my mom is like, no, you're not. And they say, if you don't give him to us, you're going to get arrested. My mom is like, if I go to jail, do I take him with me? And she's like, nope, he's going to be placed in foster care, and you are not going to be able to care for him because you're going to have a criminal record. So my mom gave my son, my son at that point, to the social worker, and they drove off in the middle of the night, not telling us where they were taking him, why they were taking him, no warrant, no nothing. And that's what I mean. It's not. It's not. yeah, if you if you were a criminal, you'd have more rights than uh, than th- this. You know, it's amazing. So keep going. Yeah. Sorry. So there we were the morning, and we didn't know where my son was. The social worker wouldn't answer her phone. The supervisor wouldn't answer her phone. And my son is missing. My twenty month old bear. My seven week old son is recovering from surgery. I start calling lawyers. I'm like, what the heck is this? Right? How can they do this? And like you said, he said, you know, this is family court. They don't have to follow constitutional law. They can do whatever is in the best interest of the child. That's their motto. And I say, so fast forward, Rachel, Rachel, fast forward to sort of the rest of the story. I hate to sound like Paul Harvey. Did you get your sons back? After 40 days and 40 nights, they kicked me out of the house. Oh, my gosh. Uh And they gave me seven hours of monitored visitation with both my sons a week. For 40 days and 40 nights, I got to see my sons one hour a day. (sighs) And after that was over, I mean, and even that, believe it or not, I'm one of the lucky ones. Because it usually mm-hmm. takes about six months before you get reunification. And even at that point, they were already trying for adoption. Right? They asked my mom if she would adopt my sons before I even had a hearing. And they offered my mom $670 a month for both my sons. And she, they would qualify for WIC for food stamps for all the social welfare programs we have here in California. And that's wow. basically when we started to wake up and, you know, follow the money. Nothing new under the sun. Right. The state gets federal funding. It's anywhere from two thousand to six thousand dollars per child that is placed in foster care. Right. Is the uh, Rachel? We're talking with Rachel Bruno, and you, you need to go to her site and 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 subscribe to her feed and get in touch with her. And and because um, you know, Rachel, I've talked to you, you, others in in this effort. And the late Phil Schlafly, for whom I worked, wrote a book called "Who Killed the American Family." And one of the one of the uh, thrusts of what she said was so devastating was uh, the the state court systems. The you know, it's not the federal system. You don't need Roe v. Wade or some federal court. It's actually worse at the local level in these states. And California is one of the worst. Rachel, if people are listening, they want to find out more rachelbruno.com, but where else can they, if they either have a problem or a story, is there now a a, a community developing of of people that can, um, that can network and help each other? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Rachel Bruno. I also have my own Uh Facebook page 
And we definitely spread the word. You know, I unfortunately I'm not a lawyer. Maybe I should go to to, to school after this. <laughs> don't do it. Don't so I can't yeah, don't offer do legal it. advice, but I can right. you know help you with my experience and try to hook you up with people. Absolutely. Okay. Rachel, I got to finish because we run out of time. Uh, Rachel Bruno, and I'm looking at her, her website is rachelbruno.com. Her Twitter feed is at Rachel Bruno. Public speaker, she writes her description of herself, ambassador for, ambassadors for families victimized by family court and foster care. Uh, and and uh, there's a lot coming. I'm, I'm glad to see you're writing a book. You need to do that. You're really a, a great uh, voice. I know it's been, it comes born out of suffering, but uh, it's important. So thank you, Rachel, for your time. And we'll have you on again, okay? Okay, thank you, Ed. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our friend of the show, Lord Conrad Black. He's been on a number of times, and he has the paperback edition of uh, the book, uh, A President Like No Other, Donald J. Trump and the Restoring of America, came out just a few days ago, and uh, he's come on the show. I have a copy of the book, and I've been reading it. It's really good. People forget Lord Conrad Black has been uh, a publisher. He owned, uh, I don't know, he controlled the biggest papers in the world, Jerusalem Post, I know, Chicago Sun-Times, I think, and some ones in in Britain, Um, and he writes all the time now, but he's a historian too. He's written a number of books uh, and uh, has a has that reputation. So it's a really good book, important read. And so, welcome, Lord Black, back to the program. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks, Ed, and thank you for your kind words. Well, so when I was looking at the book, uh, A Present Like No Other, and I, I tend to engage my ADD completely with a book. So I read the first chapter, then the last chapter, and I go through the table of contents and all. But what I'm struck by with this, and even I think um, some of the, the blurbs on it in the introduction or the preface, people were talking about, you, you know, you didn't write a book that you had to say only nice things about the president. You, you talked about who he was and how he fit into this fabric and got to where he is. So what I want to ask you is, when you watch this um, Republican convention and you see, you know, how in the last two nights, you know, the first part of this convention, to me, it's extraordinarily well crafted. And I have to say that's kind of a Trumpian thing, right? I mean, is it, when you see this, is that what you see? Is that sort of how he's, you know, how he operates? I, I, yeah, I see three things, all building upon what you just said. One is he is a great showman, and and he was extremely successful as a as a television performer, both in the idea he developed and produ- co-producing it, and his own appearances in it. He pulled between five and twenty five million viewers every week for fourteen years, and and led his time slot in prime time every every night for fourteen years, except once I think. Uh, um, uh, the, 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 he was succeeded by a particularly prominent visitor on a competing program. But uh, secondly, uh, he, he's a man who delivers in the clutch. I mean, the heat is on him now. He has to l- deliver. All eyes are on him. If they are going to win, he is going to have to do it. And and we have seen before that he is impervious to pressure. I mean, when the Access Hollywood tape came out, which was uh, thought by the Democratic strategists to be the, the, the kiss of death and the coup de grace for the Trump campaign, he was unflappable, came through it, did well in the debate two days later, and, and just carried on. Well, 
and no one who's ever participated in an American presidential debate, going back to John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, uh, has been under such pressure as he was. I mean, the vice presidential candidate, Mr. Pence, had gone silent. The party chairman, Reince Priebus, right. was right. questioning whether right. he should continue his candidacy. And, 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 and right. he was un, un, unshakable. Well, you know, he's got to deliver now, and he and he is delivering. This is a tremendous convention. And, and, uh, and, and the the third aspect is he is, a, to, to use your word, he's crafty, he's cunning. Man, this is, apart from being very professionally done, and, and all of the people who've appeared have done well, without exception of the ones I've seen, and some of them ex- really extremely well, like like Mrs. Trump last night. Um, uh, he's, he's, he's extremely calculating in how to organize this. He knows that this is the time where he has to absolutely stamp out the idea that he's a racist or, or that he is a misogynist or uh, that he, he is himself a, an unpleasant personality opposite Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Rogers Joe Biden, as he's been cast. And, and he's doing all of that. I mean, it's, it's just that he's hitting a home run, by which I mean... Uh, everyone who appears is, is getting on base, but it's Trump's show. He's he's like Casey Stengel of this, and 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 you know he's, they're they're getting a home run every inning. We're talking we're talking with Lord Conrad Black, and uh, his the book uh, the, the paperback of his sports. Bo- uh, we can use some sports metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, a uh, Casey Stengel reference, too. That's a good one. Uh, and Lord Lord Conrad Black, his book is the pr- a present like no other. Donald J. Trump and the Restoring of America and Counter Books. Uh, the paperback edition's out just now, so you can get it. Um, and that's what I want to ask you. A present like no other. I mean, how do we ever go back from this? I mean, it, it, between the media, the social media, the, the, the sort of not just the... Ev- uh, you, you know, ubiquity. He's everywhere, but the spot, the the speed with which he's into the fray, and then also the the ability, as you say, to understand uh, how it fits together. Because here's the thing: he could have been yelling about "I'm not a racist" three months ago when they said it. Instead, he waited and showed. You can't be a racist if you have friends like this. You can't be a misogynist and have a woman like that. Melania Trump, whatever you think of her, you're like, holy cow. Yes, she's beautiful. Yes, she's composed. But she got out of Slovenia. She made it her own way. You know, when she tells that story, I came to America. And you're thinking, wow, like come to America. And, and after you're done, you say, well, he may be, you know, rough and tumble and not nice. He can't be that bad because he's married to her. So but can we are we dealing with. Is he changing the presidency is what I mean. Is it, is it present like no other? It's almost like the end of an era that what comes after, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I think we got two aspects to that. Um, uh, he, he, he's changing it in techniques, but you know that happens. I mean, for example, no president had ever used the radio, uh, used airplanes, right, right. Or, or, or even right, smiled right. a lot prior to Franklin <laughs> Roosevelt. If you look at Herbert Hoover, Woodrow Wilson, or even Abraham Lincoln, you never see pictures of them smiling. It was FDR who started right. that. And now, and now right. they've all been smiling with more or less uh, effectiveness since then. And, and so you've got techniques that will be picked up, I think, including use of social media, at least to some degree. Uh, but in terms of his own personality, I, I think I think that's a one-off. I mean, uh, he, he, he's, he is like no other in this particular respect. He's the only president who, has, who never in his previous life, prior to becoming president, never sought any public office, elected or unelected, or any military position. And, and, and the only candidate who, who 
of, of whom that could be said was Wendell Wilkie in 1940, but he, he got the nomination for the high honor of running against uh, President Roosevelt, which, which you couldn't do. I mean, right. you could do it, but you couldn't win. He was invincible. Right. And, and, and right. Um, uh, Trump actually pulled it out, and, and, and I, I have never doubted that he would be reelected. Uh, and I, I, so I, he has an element of novelty that couldn't be replicated because it won't be novel. But I, I don't. I, I think it is possible that you will get a broader base of candidacies going forward. Now he had this idea, and he, I've known him a long time, and I know he's had it a long time, of parlaying uh, celebrity and fame into high political office. And, and he he changed parties seven times in thirteen years, looking for his moment. <laughs> he was constantly Right. Poland. He was he was doing the most astounding things. You know, Ninety five thousand people in the Pontiac Silverdome paid to see him shear the the hair off Vince McMahon. You know the wrestling impresario. <laughs> right. Uh, and many right. he compensated him by making his wife a small business administrator. But uh, uh, I don't think you're going to get that kind of thing. But uh, but you'll you'll get right. people taking up some of Trump's techniques, and that's you know that's how it works. Well, and and to your point again, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black, and uh, and and again, uh, the uh, the book is a president like no other. Um, I do think also what's missed a little bit is he, he's sort of the cla- he's sort of the American original. I'm not sure what the next level of this is, but you know, coming out of the era he did, up by your boots, bootstraps, that sort of positivity, you know, the Norman Vincent Peale thing. He had all that that's so recognizably American that it's sort of it's sort of residual in voters. They they look at it and they go, yeah, I, I see that i mean whether you, if you don't like it you call pt barnum and say it's a say it's a fraud if you do like it you say it's the charisma of a of a jfk who was a half an empty suit too but he had the right you know style at the right moment and and uh, but the question the thing about it lord black that i wonder and you you know again you ran, you control the, the jerusalem post was one of your papers the impact on the world i mean this presence actually he consequential is a, is an understatement right now i think Yes, as long as he's reelected, I think you'll see a realignment of alliances, uh, a general focusing on the Chinese challenge. Not not a not not the kind of saber rattling and brinkmanship we had in the fifties. I mean, the Chinese are not as aggressive and as unsophisticated as, as the as the post-Stalin communist leaders were in in the Soviet Union. Uh, but, but that that will be a shift in in the Western world's emphasis. And and I and I, I think you'll I think you'll see some. Uh, substantial changes in in the way the U.S. government uh, uh, attempts to deal with poverty and and improving a lot of the mm. disadvantaged. I think we'll move away from the Lyndon Johnson Great Society sort of thing, uh, which was well intentioned, but but it did a lot of damage in some areas that, that couldn't be foreseen. Right. And and uh, I think I think you'll get a positive adaptation of capitalism, which. Perhaps only a very wealthy and successful businessman could do. I mean, he's the only serious cool. businessman that's ever been the president of the U.S. And and it is a useful influence. I mean, you can see even his detractors, although they claim he's botched the coronavirus thing. I don't agree with that. I think he's shown what a fine administrator can do. He got our uh, he got the country's uh, supplies of ne- you know medical necessities from a desperately mm-hmm. uh, embarrassed and in an inadequate condition to, to, to a great state of preparedness in just a few weeks. It was astounding how quickly he produced these ventilators.
ventilators and, and you know fell back upon the Emergency Powers Act and so on to get private right. industry to get uh, get in line and all that and and and, and he showed a, a, a propensity to act decisively and to administer efficiently and uh, and you know that's a valuable thing not every president should be uh, should be a lawyer or a, a guy who decided <laughs> in high school he wanted to be president and that was his career. Yeah, it's true. All right. Lord Conrad Black, again, his uh, book, uh, the paperback's out, A President Like No Other, Donald J. Trump and uh, Restoring uh, of America. Thanks for your time, sir. We'll uh, we'll have you back on after the, all the, the uh, conventions are over and get an update on how it all turns out. I suspect it'll be a big bump for uh, Trump, and uh, we'll go from there. So thank you, sir. Pleasure's mine, Ed. Nice speaking with you. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Socialism is resurfacing, and the battleground is the United States. Socialism is an ideology that believes all manners of living should be regulated by the community. In their eyes, governments should regulate all social, political, and economic aspects of life. In a nutshell, socialism is anti-American because it prevents individual decision-making, private ownership, and religious freedom. This belief system is on the rise as the Democratic Party promotes a socialist agenda. Far left-wing individuals identify as democratic socialists. Both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren ran for the Democratic presidential nomination marketing this ideology. Colleges and universities have been teaching socialism as the cure-all for years. This has influenced young people to believe that socialism is the answer and America is the problem. What colleges won't tell students is that throughout history, socialism in its various forms has failed every single time. Hitler's Nazis were the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Socialism destroyed Cuba under Fidel Castro. The list continues on where the people were tricked into giving power to a dictator on the promise of more equality. The Democratic Party has already embraced socialism. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib are Democratic socialists sitting in the House of Representatives. And although Joe Biden does not claim that he's a socialist, he has surrounded himself with the socialists. Senator Elizabeth Warren even told the New Yorker magazine that in 2020, it's not going to be about Donald Trump. Elizabeth Warren is right. This election year calls for the renewal of the American spirit. The fight against socialism is here and it's now. And there is only one choice. Do we allow socialism to take over the United States of America or do we ascertain that this land is God given to keep us free? This 2020 election is not man versus man. It's America versus socialism. America's remained strong for almost 244 years. Let's not let this election year change that. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For the U.S. economy to flourish, free enterprise needs to be rewarded. Competition and capitalism need to be encouraged. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find alerts and strategies for strengthening our economy and standing against socialism. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Now, listen, I, I, I ran out of time because uh, those two interviews are phenomenal. And my only tip to you is this. You should go to Ed Martin's Pro-America, the ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and let's catch up on those interviews and all that because they're really important. All right. Here's your homework. What you need to do. I want you to start listening and listen for anything you hear about the teachers unions. Okay, it's starting to become not just a thing that I've talked about with you and we've talked about on the program, but the teachers unions in New York, the mayor has said the school should go back in person. The teachers unions are fighting it. In lots of different cities, you're starting to hear the, the, the splintering, what used to be the solidarity between the Democrat elected officials and the teachers unions because they needed each other. The teachers unions what got them elected and therefore they rolled over for them. So I want you to try to listen. Hear, hear what, see, what you, see if you hear the repeated conversations about the teachers unions because the next, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the next 10 weeks are going to be extraordinarily bumpy for the American people as our kids go back to school and don't go back to school and all that. And as it happens, there are going to be places parents and grandparents and students are going to look to opportunities to say, hey, wait, that's not the way I want it to be. I want it different. And the combination of President Trump putting school choice in the spotlight and the teachers unions having nowhere to hide. They make a fortune being teachers unions. They control things being teachers unions. They aren't about education. They're about themselves. Listen for it. All right. That's what you need to do. All right. We got to go, though. Thank you to Noah, our technical director, for running a great program. Joanna for booking our great guests. And you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow night. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.